Welcome to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, once again, filling in for Jamie Dodd, who will be back tomorrow. And as always, Canucks insider Tom Strantz from The Athletic on the show as well. The Vancouver Canucks, first in your programs, first in your hearts, first in the Western Conference on this day, November 16th. The city is celebrating, the, the sky, the weather is celebrating Vancouver's miraculous comeback victory. Over the New York Islanders. Nothing be better right now. No, like, Bo Horvat revenge goal to give the Islanders a two-goal lead. And then it's tied by Philip Peronik, and then the new captain wins it. Like, come on. It's beautiful. And it's, like, it's like you're laying it on a little thick now, <laughs> hockey gods. <laughs> this script, is great. script is too good. The script is fantastic for Vancouver. And, you know, there was a lot to like from their power play. There was a lot to like. From Thatcher Demko, mm -hmm. I, I, there was a lot to like in the Canucks getting challenged to actually have to chase a game and pulling it off, drawing a ton of pe uh, penalties. I don't know that they were at their best last night. No, I, I especially for there were prolonged stretches, and we'll get into all this. There were prolonged stretches of the game as well, where um, especially the Horvat Barzal line were. Yeah, they were laying it on thick. Um, I do gotta, I gotta get some reads. Okay, go, Canucks go Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas-like equipment. Let's pay the bills. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are also coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And finally, you can text in 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Labner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Labner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So, True North in Vancouver, if you look True North, you'll see the mountains. Yes. NHL scoring leaderboard, look True North, you'll see Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller tied! 26 points each. Tied Spezza Alfredson Heatley style. <laughs> yes. Atop the NHL scoring leaderboard. And there's a story there. A big story, right? There's lots of little stories, too. Quinn Hughes, did he score his sixth goal? Yes. My sixth goodness. goal in overtime. Like, how many? It, he had uh, seven last year? I, I was saying pretty confidently a little bit too early. I was, I was suggesting the, that I could see him getting to 15. Mm -hmm. But, like, I, maybe I have to adjust that upward. Ah. Uh. I hope so. I don't. Fifteen still feels right. He so. could have had two. Yeah, he could have had two last night. Like Sorokin robbed him. Ottinger robbed him. He hit the post in Tampa Bay. He had a great chance in Philly and would have scored if he'd gone five hole. And he's been kicking himself for two weeks over that play because it would have also got the Canucks back in the game. Mm -hmm. Not not because of the goal haul, but that was one that he felt like. It, I, I mean, this. It's not like this guy's winding away from the point. And hoping that it beats goalies, like that's that's a breakaway shot, you know. Yeah. That's a breakaway, and it's a wrist shot that he did not have in his bag. Mm -hmm. He did not have that shot last year, right? JT Miller. There's lots of stuff we can get into with JT Miller. Defensive game, matchup guy. Elias Pettersson somehow chugging a along at the as the NHL scoring leader, despite everyone in this city agreeing we haven't seen his fastball. Which is so crazy. <laughs> so crazy. We're like, oh, man, he doesn't look great. Ah, he's first in the league in points. It's fine. So there's lots of little stories. But what's the big story? Big story is all three of those guys are big factors on the Canucks' top power. Nailed it! 
We did. <laughs> I'm so proud of me. So, <laughs> no chance we went over this before the show. I actually thought you'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to restart? No, no, no. no it's fine. fine. You nailed it. The big story is the Canucks power play. Yes. And not in the context of like, I don't know if you saw, there was a gentleman named Pasha on Spitting Chicklets who like went off on JT Miller getting too many secondary assists on the power play or whatever. Yes. I did very much, by the way, like uh, something we all would have said last year or like a lot of a subsection of Canucks fans would have said last year about JT Miller. There are fair things to point out when a player has like a really good role, Mm -hmm. right? Like, JT Miller's expected points, that's not a real stat, but say it was. Like, what you'd expect JT Miller to generate, given that he logs a million mile, or a million minutes a game and power play one runs through him, like, is high. That baseline is high. But that doesn't mean that, A, his ability to actually do that role isn't a huge credit to him. And, B, you know, I'd argue that there have been seasons, multiple seasons anyway, where Miller has also exceeded – what you'd expect from him based on a plum roll. Like, like 99 point season. Yeah, his ability to handle a plum roll, and especially on the power play, especially his ability, like this is one of the smartest five-on-four guys I've ever seen. Trash-talking Adam Oates is mm-hmm. like I don't think an outrageous line to deliver. He's the smartest five-on-four guy I've seen in years. I think he's smarter about playing the man advantage than the Twins were in their primes. Dang. I really do. Like Just in terms of like little nuances, the Twins... Their geometric genius was more five-on-five. Like, their down-low passing, the way that they played as a five-man group was incomparable. Uh, But but five-on-four, breaking down teams five-on-four, Miller's the smartest I've ever seen, about just, like, the nuances of the game, how you shoot, how you attack different sort of patterns um, in in terms of defense. Like, that downhill wrist shot that he took three times against Montreal, Mm -hmm. that's because they were in an eye. They were cheating to take away the seam, and when penalty killers get narrow... JT's answer is, I'm just going to mash. I'm going to spam this wrist shot until I score. Mm. And, and, and more it works. often than not, it works. Yeah. No, no, no. He knows how to go to it. And mm-hmm. e- even if it doesn't work, his his taking that shot three or four times creates stress. And then the guys get out of their, the penalty killers get out of their position for a moment. And then like a python. he he. Anyway, how inevitable did that power play feel last night? Every time they went out, the, like when they got the five on three, the two minute five on three, I was like, oh, they're going to score in the first minute, and then they're still going to keep the pressure going into into the second. Like, I was surprised that they didn't score early in that five-on-three because of how dominant that power play had looked in the other power players throughout the game. Even the earlier one, when Mayfield tripped Connor Garland, I thought to myself, oh, like, that's it. You know, like, entering the third period, I was like, if the Islanders can stay out of the box, they can win. If they can't, they're done. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, they take, you know, Mayfield takes that Garland tripping penalty. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's it. And when they killed that penalty, I was like, man, that this is going to be interesting now. And then they take two on the exact same shift, mm-hmm. both drawn by the exact same player. Kuzmanko. Andre <laughs> Kuzmanko. What? That's yeah. wild. It was, uh, it was insane. And, but you're right. The power play felt inevitable mm. last night. Yeah. It's, it, well, we're at the point now where it's like... You know, Robert Robert Oppenheimer looking into the lake at the at the raindrops. You know what I mean? Like, I, I've created a thing that will destroy the whole world. Like, the Canucks power play is an atom bomb. Yeah. They have a nuke that they just are able to unveil against their opponents whenever a penalty gets taken. The calibration on it, the way that Besser has fit into it, the fact that Kuzmenko leaves and, and you just 
Rowan Hronick for a shot of debatable velocity. <laughs> we'll get into this in a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, like, if you have a power play clicking like this, if you have that advantage every game you play, and even when they're not scoring, they're generating so much, they look so lethal, they st- create so much stress, they put so much duress or, or create so much of a sense of duress for their opponents that, like, it, you come back to even strength and you've got momentum. You know, they're just generating at such a high level. They, It's unbelievable what they're doing five on four. And that's the story. Like, if you go look at five on five, and this, again, is not to do the power play merchant thing. But if you go look at uh, five on five scoring, um, Quinn Hughes is actually Vancouver's five on five scoring leader. Ten points. Um, that ranks 25th, tied for 25th in the NHL. He's also tied with Heronic and Pedersen. JT Miller has nine five on five points, right? Mm-hmm. The reason you see one, two, three, and like Patterson and Miller don't play together, <laughs> like, it's yeah. not like it's not like it's one line. Like it's one thing if it's one line cleaning up, yeah, you know, because we see that sometimes. Two line mates, Henrik and Daniel, Marty St. Louis, Steven Stamkos, Danny Heatley, Spetsa Alfredson. <laughs> right, yeah, we see that sometimes at the top of an NHL leaderboard. But like two centers on a different line and a defenseman, we don't see that. Mm-hmm. So the context there is why are the Canucks? leading the NHL 1-2-3 in scoring, it's because power play one is such a dynamic, impossible weapon. It's just destroying opponents. And these guys are, you know, the straw that stirs the drink in, in, in a major way when the Canucks, you know, get, get a chance to go to work five on four. It, it's not, like, I'm not splitting hairs either to, like, denigrate or, like, obviously I prioritize or prize five on five production a lot, but... The power play is winning them games. Like, this isn't a mark against the Canucks. This is, like, these guys are leading the league in scoring and their su- because of their success on the po- on the power play, and their success on the power play is, like, what won Vancouver another game last night. Like, that's – this is just what's happening. This is how the Canucks are winning games right now. Their power play is on fuego. Yeah, and it, it, to your point, it's not to take them down. No. It's to be like, hey, like, you're going to win games throughout the season because your power play – is so good and to your point uh, you mentioned it bleeds into like your five on five play as well when you have that momentum and I think we saw it in the in the second period last night where even when they weren't on the power play it did feel like the Canucks were forcing pressure in the offensive zone and yep. they were and they were doing it effectively um, and again like there were moments throughout the game where the Islanders pushed back especially after the the Heronic goal um, but it's just, Again, when your power play is that good, it's uh, it's going to be a lot to handle. If you go check power play conversion rate, okay, because I, I, you know, um, the, the, I'm basically trying to capture the one about the statistician who drowned in a lake with an average depth of a meter. You know, like numbers have to be viewed in context. So, one, two, three, scoring leaderboard. What does it mean? Vancouver's power play is lethal. Canucks second to the New Jersey Devils in power play percentage. That means they're the second best power play in the NHL. Nope. Number one. They're number one. Mm -hmm. They are plus 21 with the power play goal differential to this point in the season. Plus 21. Like this team's plus 34 goal differential. 21 of that is is a credit to the power play itself. Um, Did you want to get into so? We Sorry, had, I, I lost my train of thought, but I did want to talk about this. They're okay. number one on the power play. 
because they're outscoring their opponents by a wider margin on the power play. Them and the Devils are tied, plus 21 goal differential, right? So they're, you're looking at conversion rate, but what you really need to be looking at is like, what is the power play bringing to the table? The Canucks haven't given up a shorthanded goal against 21 power play goals for. Mm-hmm. This is wild stuff. And it's just such an edge for this team to be able to bring into every game. Like when you combine that with the way their goaltender is playing, right? It's no wonder that they're not out of any game, especially if opponents can't stay out of the box. It's no wonder that they're able to build on leads so consistently. Like this weapon, this weapon right now is is driving so much of Vancouver's success and it's not going away. It's not... You can talk about the sustainability of their five-on-five form or their PDO. Like, guess what? PDO doesn't factor in power play shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah. Like, one thing that's not going away is Vancouver five-on-four right now. Best in the league. And so one of the goals we saw last night, um, and, and to the power play's credit as well, Kuzmenko gets a puck in the face. I yeah. I think we're still waiting for an update. Though. But we got one from him on Twitter. He's fine. Yeah, like, he's and, fine. And I think more than anything, like what that means is like no medical emergency. Yeah. No medical, not a medical emergency. That's good to know. Like when you see a player get hit up there, I'm, I'll always think about Dan Hamhuis. Dan Hamhuis took a Dan Boyle shot in the face midway through the 2013-14 season. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to him when he finally got back into practice and he talked about running his tongue over the roof of his mouth and it was soft. And it was like that moment where I was like, oh, my God, that sounds so like I always think about that when you see a player get shot uh, or get hit by a shot up top. Um, Yeah, scary moment. Glad to hear that it's, you know, okay on Instagram and and we'll see what the update is. Yeah, for sure. But to the Canucks power play, one credit, Hronik moves up there and you wanted to talk about the shot originally clocked in at 107.9, which is just incredibly insane i mean i mean the thing is though is that that number was so outrageous that yeah. it was like i didn't take it seriously and the, there was no <laughs> you know, skate was like, into it no at chance. all either he was just it was yeah, just, wasn't it I, was it even a full wind up i i wouldn't say so well like he he was waiting there for hughes to pass it to him so i, I mean, mean maybe like, it was a phenomenal shot yeah. and it zipped like it launched off a stick but 100 108 miles per hour i mean I've, so i've got a lot of thoughts on this one is does it change your appreciation of the shot, if it's 108 miles per hour or 100 miles per hour, it's still outrageous. It was, yeah, it's still insane regardless. So, by the way, it was corrected to, I think, 100.4 today. Yeah, 100.4. So, 100.4, like, that makes sense to my brain as, like, a, a distance you've or a speed you've seen guys hit, like, in the shooting competition. 108, it's like, come on. I've never, I've just never seen it. Like, we've seen shots get clocked. We've seen the NHL edge data. We've never seen something like that. And if we are ever going to see something like that, I feel like it's going to be like a guy with he's going to like start on the other side of the blue line, <laughs> Sammy Sallow style and yeah. like take like four steps in. And it's going to be like, I mean, that was a, from a stationary spot, quick release, like an unbelievable shot, whether it's one oh one hundred point four or one oh eight does not in any way impact my appreciation of two things about it. One fabulous shot Two. The cojones that JT Miller displayed just standing in there, didn't even flinch, had a laugh of, about it afterwards. Unreal. Yeah, his Good face, for him. His face after the shot went in was like, whoo that was close. <laughs> that was fantastic. So, um, by the way, when 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 Kuzmenko left and Hironic came on, uh, I'm a big four forwards on the power play guy, but I actually don't really understand why teams try to use a one-three-one against a, on, on a five-on-three. Mm-hmm. Like, in the old days, when you had two defensemen on the points, five on threes, 
you, you'd pass the puck around while your point men slowly got more and more compact. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you're just looking to rip one top corner at an angle where you have the edge over the goalie. I don't hate that approach. I actually wonder why we don't see more, whether whether it's four forwards or like, uh, you know, a Burakovsky, Daniel Sprung style, or like, you know, a JT Miller style shooter up top versus an Elias Pettersson style shooter up top. Like just someone who can pound away at closer than you'll ever get the opportunity to do it, like from just a step under the Bowman line. Like that, to me, is a really dangerous shot. So when Hironic came on, I was sort of like, I actually think that makes sense in this specific situation. If they play five on four with Hironic as opposed to, you know, a Garland, because uh, he's a right-handed shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'll like that as much. But in the five on three circumstance, I actually thought Hironic brought a lot to it. I think they should go to that. I actually think they should go to that. When they get five on three. When they get five on threes, it would be it would be an interesting wrinkle. I wonder how much they practice it as well. Um, but also, it's like it's pretty comparable. The, these to guys that. spend like so much time on the ice on together. Five. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I, yeah. You don't want to waste practice on a game state you see for like ten minutes a year. Yeah, but you know, it was. Uh, and I do wonder as well tonight if if Kuzmenko is out, and again, we don't have any update on if he is or isn't playing yet. Seems safe to assume, but we'll yeah. see. Um, I wonder if Hronik gets a shot, especially because of uh, scoring last night on mm. the power play, if he gets a shot on power play one. So here's here's the other story I want to talk about. Um, five on five, right? Last night, the Canucks actually lost the battle pretty decisively at the top of the lineup. And and this is a trend, I, I, we, I talked about it yesterday a bit. This is a trend we've sort of seen, like, you're. I think you're beginning to see some of the seams of, like, JT Miller matchup center. Um, that five-man unit that they've been used to, using to check opponents' top lines, the results were spectacular for like a six or seven-game stretch there in the in the sort of middle part of the Canucks season. But the last like week and a half, it's kind of been trending in the wrong direction. Um, you know, it's one thing when that's McDavid. You know, it's like whatever, right? McDavid won- wins the territorial matchup against you, but doesn't score five on five. You take that ten times out of ten. Mm-hmm. But when it's Kachuk's line doing it. Right when it's when it's you know Matthews ducked the matchup, but Tavares still was able to, and then and then it's Barzal Horvat really doing it. I think then then it sort of becomes more than just like a one one off, like it's something to monitor here. But you know, for in key stretches of that game, like absolutely essential stretches of that game, that Garland Bluger in in Pew Suter's spot and Dakota Joshua line, like I thought really kept Vancouver's head above water mm-hmm. in terms of the territorial game, in terms of the flow of play, and then drew three penalties. And let's be real, like that, at the end of the night, it will read on the score sheet that that line was zero goals for, zero goals against. But if you draw three penalties and take none as a line, with the way that this power play is eating, it's worth like, what? It's worth a goal. Yeah. 33% power play conversion rate? It's worth a That's goal. That's worth a goal. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I, I I mean, that line did an amazing job and I think is part of another big picture story that we're seeing around this team, right? We know that some of Vancouver's results, some of this some of this first in the West stuff is the product of good fortune, but it's also the product of a team whose best players have leveled up at the same time that the club raised their floor at the bottom end of the lineup. Mm-hmm. To put those star players in a position where now, when Hughes does damage, when Pedersen does damage, they're not undoing a mistake from earlier in the game. They're adding to the lead, or they're gaining the lead. Like between Bluger, Suter, 
Beauvillier even, Lafferty, mm-hmm. um, Dakota Joshua, on and on. Garland is a big part of this too. Mm-hmm. The Canucks now have this like baseline of talent, this depth level of talent, especially up front. I still think the defense is a little bit more um, suspect, but obviously Cole and Susie have, have sort of helped in a similar vein where the, the, the weak links in the chain are now strong enough that Vancouver's star players can make the difference night in, night out. And, and this is something that I think I was a little slow before the season to really pick up on. Uh, one of the things that I'm most like, uh, I, I wish I'd, I wish I'd been faster on the uptake there, especially because I have so much regard for Susie and Suter and, uh, um, Susie and Suter and Bluger and Cole. Mm-hmm. But there's like enough of these floor guys that Vancouver's not giving it away. They're not giving it away when their star players take a breather now, and that's putting you know Miller, Patterson, Hughes, power play one in a position to feast. That's a that's a big difference and a big reason why we're seeing the Canucks run so hot, historically hot, over the first 16 games of the year. And I think that's... Is it 15, 16? Uh, 15. Okay. Nope, 16. You're right. Yeah. 12, 3, and 1. Sweet. Nailed it. Um, And I think that's, if you're a Canucks fan, that's what you've kind of been clamoring for in, for like quite a few years now at this point. Has been, you've looked at the top of the roster and you've been like, you have all these pieces and theoretically they should be able to do something maybe not to this level but to a level of like making the playoffs consistently and I think a lot of people were just like you got to figure out how to surround them properly and that doesn't mean adding a bunch of elite talent elsewhere on the roster but it does mean adding guys who can hold their own and control play like we've seen from Pew Suter, Dakota Joshua um, in moments this season. Connor Garland especially when he's been in the bottom six has been he like when he can drive a line, I just think he's much more effective than when he's in the top six and is supposed to be complementing one of Elias Pettersson or JT Miller. Mm. Like when Garland can be the guy on a line to create offense, I think that's that's best suited for his game. Maybe I think there's a world where you put him with a different type of player who needs the puck a little less, right? I mean, one thing about Pedersen and Miller is I, I think they're both at their best with the puck on their sticks. Yeah. And what was sort of interesting when they played together was they developed sort of a unique cycle game to play off one another, but they both got like a heavy amount of puck touches. And Besser was a really good fit on Lotto because he's just like looking about for soft spaces to camp in mm-hmm. and shoot. Um, you know, that that worked really well, I think, for them. But for the most part, if you have a really puck dominant player, it's best to pair him with guys who let him have the puck. Like you know, who who are the centers that Patrick Kane, not that not that Connor Garland's Pat Kane, but Patrick Kane's a winger who was a puck dominant. Who were the centers that he had the most success with? It's like Martin um Hanzus mm-hmm. and Artemi Anisimov. Like literal just like pooper scooper defensive centerman who can skate like I think there's a world where Connor Garland can play up the lineup. I just don't know that his skill set's like perfectly suited to complementing Pedersen and Miller in particular. I agree. I agree. And that that's why I think, again, we, we don't have to get into all the trade talk, but that's why I think it's just maybe that- – I, I don't know how this bottom six survives without him. Honestly, like, th- there are there are players that I think – you know, I, I there are players that if you need to move cap, I, I think you can live without, you can replace. But I, I honestly think Garland's, like, 
so additive. I don't think this top six has anything close to the the pitch speed that they're throwing right now without Garland being the driver on that third line. Uh, it is Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Strantz here on Sportsnet 650. On the other side, Megan Mickelson is going to join us, going to get into some Flames talk. The Canucks play again tonight, by the way. Uh, later as well, Kevin Woodley and Dmitry Filipovich going to join us. It is Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Strantz on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott, Wolf Thomas Strantz here with you on Sportsnet 650. Let's welcome in our next guest, Megan Mickelson, three-time Olympic medalist, eight-time world championship medalist, and current Flames analyst for Sportsnet and Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Thanks for taking the time, Megan. How are you? Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing well. I just got back from uh morning skate and media availability and and all the fun things so looking forward to tonight yeah for sure uh we'll get into the flame side of everything with you um but just in vancouver we like external validation it's one of the (laughs) one of the things we crave so fans here riding the high of this start um from the outside looking in what have you thought of uh of the beginning of this canuck season yeah, I mean, riding the high, rightfully so. I think, you know, I watched the game last night versus the Islanders, and, I mean, what a fun team to watch. I think as, um, you know, as someone who obviously loves the game of hockey very much, like you watch that team, and they're just they're so impressive in the way that they play just a really complete game, I think, is, you know, one of the, the biggest things that I take away is that, you know, they're they're humming on all cylinders right now in terms of their goaltenders are performing well. They're playing really well defensively. And I mean, the offense and the numbers, <laughs> those speak for themselves. So, um, it, you know, it's a, it's a really fun team to watch. So definitely get that outward external validation from me but you know I also look at I like to look at the the analytics and the data and some of kind of the you know not as much talked about trends that I see and uh, so one thing that I've really noticed with the Canucks is you know in terms of their D zone play so they rank first in the league in defensive zone steals per game Uh, so that tells you how well they check in the defensive zone and not just in terms of defending the play, but in terms of, you know, getting the puck back from the other team and getting on offense. They do that really, really well too. And that's obviously the first step um, in creating offense is getting the puck back from the other team. And then uh, they're also fifth in stretch passes per game in the league. Quinn Hughes being a player that's tied for six. So when they do get the puck back, they have the ability to get up the ice, really quickly and and obviously very fast in transition so I mean there's a lot to like about this team in terms of the players but then you also look at at Rick Tockett and I mean I've played for a lot of coaches in my career and when I think of a great coach and one that just really has the ability to to capture the room uh, and just be a really solid leader. I always think of Kevin Deneen, and we had him as a coach uh, for the 2014 Olympics 
in Russia, and he was absolutely incredible. But one of the biggest things was just his overall confidence and how that filtered through our team. And I see the same with Rick Tockett. I mean, obviously, he mm. has quite the personality. and um, But you look at, you know, his confidence and kind of his swagger, and it seems like the team has, has really taken that on as well. So... Um, a lot of really good things to like, but I always say, and I say this with caution, it's hard to get to the top, but it's even harder to stay there. So, you know, I think my question and the question that probably most people have is, you know, they're clipping along at an incredible pace and rate and, you know, can they keep it up? Megan, you brought up confidence there. What's the confidence level of a Calgary team that we've seen play better for the last five games, but you know, we're approaching like a hundred games played in which they've struggled going back to the start of last season. Um, what are you seeing in the early going from that team? Where are they at right now? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough start to the season here, but you know, I think that confidence is a, it's a tough word for me because I'm one that, um, you know, I believe that, you gain confidence from, you know, you have, have a solid internal belief in your abilities and you gain confidence from, from your actions um, and the way that you show up every single day. Uh, And once you do those things, then the results take care of themselves. Whereas most people, you know, you think of confidence in terms of you get that from winning hockey games and you get that from getting points. And while I totally see that point of view, Uh, You know, I think that this is a team that's really, and it sounds so cliche, but they're really focused on the process. Ryan Huska has continuously said from day one that, you know, you, you take advantage of the day that's, that's right in front of you. And all you can do is show up every single day and do your best. And work ethic has not been an issue for this team at all. There was one game this season where the coaching staff brought up uh, work ethic, and that was against the St. Louis Blues. But outside of that, you know, this is, this is really a group that, you know, they come up to the rink, they, they show up every single day, they put their best foot forward and they want to win and they want to do well. And they've done a really great job. And I give Michael Backlund credit for, you know, his leadership and keeping the team on track in terms of dealing with all of the, you know, I guess distractions that they've had going on. It's, you know, it's really hard to show up and, and to, you know, keep your team in a positive mindset, keep the mood in the room light. Like those are really hard things to do when things aren't going your way. And they've done a great job of that. And like you said, in the last five games, you look at the first 10 games, um, you know, they're two, seven and one in the last five, they're three, one and one. So things are looking up and I think they're just trying to take the, you know, the positives from every single game. They feel like coming home from Montreal with that win, that they have some momentum um, and they're going to try to carry that into tonight. You mentioned Ryan Huska uh, early returns, but what have you thought of his fit in Calgary so far? Oh, he's just been, he's so impressive to me. And we have the opportunity as a a broadcast crew, we get to chat with him after the media availability in the morning off camera. And actually, I was thinking this morning when, when we were chatting with him uh, after his media availability and just, 
what a great job he's done of, you know, keeping the ship from sinking and keeping it sailing, I guess you could say, as I said before. But he's also just a really intelligent hockey mind in terms of the way that he thinks the game, the way that he's able to to break it down and to verbalize it and to communicate that to his players. That's something that we've heard from the group, from the players, just what a, a great communicator that he is. And whenever you ask him any, you know, tactical, really detailed questions about systems or positioning, he always has a really just insightful, um, intelligent answer. So I think that not only is he, he is a great human being from what I've heard, but also just a really smart hockey mind and, um, you know, the adjustments that they make every single game and, the amount of video that these coaches watch and, you know, how hard they're working too. Like it's not just the players that are showing up every single day and working their tails off. Like the coaching staff is doing that as well. And he's really done a nice job of, you know, he came in from day one and, you know, you look at what him and Craig Conroy in terms of you look at the, you know, the culture and the environment of the group, which was a, a big talking point last season. And, you know, as a member of the media walking into the dressing room, the very first day of training camp, there was all, there was a lightness in it and a different mood, different feel, different vibe in the room. And I've been in a lot of dressing rooms and I mean, you can tell uh, when things are different and they have three words up in their dressing room and it's um, consistency, um, commitment and compete. So those are three things that Ryan Huska and the entire staff, they really stand by and they really believe and they really instilled upon these players. And I think that that's what has helped them through these challenging times. So I personally, I can't say enough good things about Ryan Huska and what I've seen from him. The Flames are, you mentioned Craig Conroy as well, and the Flames are kind of in this interesting spot right now where they have they have a lot of long-term commitments. I mean, you look at Huberdeau and Kadri, um, but they also have a lot of expiring contracts as well. Elias Lindholm, um, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov, and the latter two have kind of been brought up in, in a lot of trade rumors. And it feels like the Flames are in this spot where they can either keep things going and, and try to make a playoff push here, or they can... Uh, as we get closer to the deadline, kind of geared towards the future. Do you have a sense of what Conroy is kind of looking to do in, in the uh, the short term or long term here and, and what might be best for the Flames um, in how they go about the rest of the season? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know that I have the perfect answer to that. But what I do know is that Craig Conroy is willing to wait for if you know if there's deals that are going to be made he's going to be patient and he's going to wait until he you know gets the right one and waits until he gets offers that makes sense uh, for the team whether that's now or whether that's down the road and he's obviously I mean this is his first year as GM and he wants to make sure that he's really setting the organization up for success obviously in the short term, but the long term as well. I've also heard that, you know, they're not too far off of, you know, hitting play on making some significant changes. So at the moment, it seems to be a a one day at a time thing, kind of, you know, live to or play to play to live another day and, and just kind of hang on a little bit. 
So it's, you know, it's, it's a work in progress, I guess, in a nutshell. But yeah, Craig Conroy is, he's willing to wait, willing to be patient um, to, to see what will work best for the team. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, you really get the sense that they're not too far off here from, from making some moves and making some changes. And you think about, you know, what might happen if they lose a couple of games in a row or, um, you know, if they went on another losing streak, then, you know, obviously that's, that's a time where things become a little bit more urgent. But then you think on the flip side of that, okay, well, what if, you know, they're, they won in Montreal, what if they can string a few together here? I know tonight's going to be a, a really tall task and a tough challenge, but, you know, if they can win a couple, then then what do things look like? So I think that they're taking that approach, too, and, and kind of taking it one day at a time, uh, but seeing what, what offers come across the table as well. Megan, from what you've seen of these two teams, what are you looking for tonight in the matchup? What's going to be decisive in shaping the outcome? Well, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how um, the Canucks come out after that overtime win versus the Islanders last night. Obviously, that's a high-energy, high-emotion game and a comeback like that. And I know as a player, oftentimes, uh, when you're coming off one of those games that, you know, there's there's sometimes a little bit of, um, you know, a letdown and you kind of come off that high a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Canucks come out. I don't think Rick Tockett is the type of coach that's going to let them come out flat. That's obviously something that he's well aware of that, you know, that was a bit of a high and there can be a bit of a low afterwards. Um, so I'm sure that he's going to do everything he can to, to keep the group up and high and, and flying. But I think, you know, for obviously the Canucks, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, they're firing on all cylinders. So the flames, you know, it's going to be a matter of, a big thing that's been talked about here is their puck management and their turnovers in the neutral zone. So, uh, you know, they've often shot themselves in the foot in terms of the opportunities that they've given up for opposing teams. So I think puck management is a a big thing for the flames tonight and trying to kind of weather the storm and, and manage the high octane, um, extremely dangerous offense that the Canucks bring, you know, not just from their forwards, but from their defense as well. Uh, and then I think that, you know, specialty teams are going to be really interesting as well. Obviously the Canucks are, you know, tied for second at 33% in the league. Um, you know, the flames right now, their power play is really struggling. They're at, you know, 14% and at the, the bottom of the pile. And then, you know, you look at the penalty kill and the Flames are, you know, they're up there. It's almost the opposite. They're at 88% fourth in the league. uh, And the Canucks are, uh, you know, at 75%, 23rd in the league. So I think that uh, specialty teams in a game like this could also um, be really, really important. And, you know, it's going to be a matter of, you know, in the Calgary Flames, we've seen two different types of teams show up over the course of the year, a really good one or a really bad one. So I think it also depends on, you know, which Calgary Flames team we see show up tonight. But, you know, I think for me, anytime you have players like, um, you know, Brock Besser and JT Miller and Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and Philip Rona. Can we talk about him for a second? <laughs> that shot sure. last night. Yeah. Uh, you know, any of the, any of those guys that are on the ice, I mean, it's no matter what, it's, it's, it's great hockey and it, it's fun hockey to watch. So be interesting to see how this one 
plays out tonight. You know, one of the top teams in the league versus one of the bottom teams in the league. Yeah, it should be a fun one for sure. Uh, thanks for taking the time, Megan, and uh, enjoy the game tonight. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. There is Megan Mickelson joining us on Canucks Talk. Follow her on Twitter, by the way, at Mickelson12. I love the legend of Philip Ronick and how it now has this shot. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like we we've reached this point with Heronic where he's like a tall tale. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's like um it's like Philip Ronick was silent for a thousand days. <laughs> like, <laughs> like his his beard is as smooth as the finest Persian carpet. <laughs> he once shot a puck hundred and eight miles per hour. His 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 eyes contained the flames of hell. <laughs> <laughs> and his arms were shaped like tree trunks. Like, it's, the legend of Philip Perona yeah, grows. It's insane. It's <laughs> insane. And Alan Walsh is like, great! The yeah, legend, let's go! <laughs> the legend yeah. of Philip Perona. It's <laughs> growing. The, the, pay the legend. <laughs> pay um, the legend. And, yeah, his uh, first goal as a Canuck last night was a howitzer. Um, yeah. The Flames, so, uh, I kind of want to talk. Like, they, they feel like they're in a spot that the Canucks were... More than a few years ago, See, I guess. I disagree with you because I think the Flames are still better than the Canucks were at any point. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. But I also think that they're they're in a point where it's like you have to make decisions on guys. And I don't know if I trust that Conroy's going to make the right decisions, similar to what happened with Ben. Well, I think the problem that you're running into now with Calgary is it's like you enter the summer and it's like everyone wants to leave. And then you enter the season and it's like we can keep guys. Oops. And, but it's like, how many yeah. times are you going to change direction here? Uh-huh. You and know, like, decide. you got to figure out where you want to go. And that's kind of, it, that's why I'm comparing and, it to the Canucks. Is and like, I don't think you should change where you're going on 15 games. No, for like, sure. Like, 15 games isn't enough. Mm-hmm. And, but also, well, I will say 15 games is enough if you came into the season thinking you were going to be a playoff team. And potentially, like, if you're Calgary, what if you came into the season being like, oh, we got these guys for one last run, let's make it work. And yeah, then, I, but I mean, they're not dead in the water. They're five points out right now, I think. Yeah, they're not dead in the water. But I like, still think I, I think Edmonton is going to pass them at, at some point. Oh, for here. sure. I mean, Edmonton's a better team. But, like, Calgary's not dead in the water yet. You know, they're not so far back. No. For that, sure. it's, that, that it's late early. You have to play really good hockey the rest of the way. But, you know, you look at that team and you look at what they're able to do and the control they're able to exert and the way that they defend – like, if they can get enough offense from some guys who've, you know, struggled, um, and if they can get some saves, because their goaltending is really the story here, right? Like, this team has the worst goaltending 5-on-5 five five in the league. 8-8-9. Eight, eight, Canucks fans are like, we could never. <laughs> yeah. Even though even though we just lived through it last year. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the difference between – I mean, the difference between Canucks and Flames goalies can, – Canucks goalies stop 94.1% of all shots faced. Calgary Flames goalies stop 88.9% of all shots faced. Like, I don't think I'm breaking any ground here when I say I bet you the edge at the end of the season is going to be a lot narrower than that. How dare you? No. You know? I, I get you. So, uh, I mean, you have Markstrom, you have Wolf, you have Vladar. It's mm-hmm. not like you don't have bodies to throw at the problem. Yeah. You know, like, it's not like the Flames can't be like, okay, we're going to give Dustin Wolf a run here. I'm surprised they haven't. It, yet, it's honestly honest. wild that they haven't. Yeah, you but, know, like uh, they, I get, I get giving Markstrom, given his contract status, like one more shot here. 
but we're approaching a pretty long sample where he's really struggled. Mm-hmm. Like dating back to the what? The playoffs in 2021. 2022. Yes. So mm-hmm. two it's been like two and a half years now, like or almost two years now. We have to you know, give Markstrom another shot to get hot, but if he can't, you got to see if you can find your Binnington. Find your internal Binnington and there's no better candidate for that than Wolf. So That's the thing. It's like he's so he's done everything he can in the gay show. I watched this Flames team play and they look stodgy and slow and I struggle to imagine that they're going to be a tough matchup for the Canucks tonight given how the Canucks are rolling. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I look at the underlying profile and it looks promising if you can get some saves. So, I, I, you know, the Flames have the profile of a team that I'm very reluctant to leave for dead this early. I understand. I'm writing them off. I'm done. <laughs> uh, Jacob Markstrom getting the start tonight. Uh, damn, like at a certain point, yeah, you just got to trade Vladar. Because I feel like that's the hurdle is they're like, well, we got two guys and they're both kind of valuable. Yeah, but I, uh, fair. But like there's one guy. There's one guy who can – if you're the Flames and you're trying to throw a Hail Mary – that's the guy. Wolf is a guy. Like, like you know, going to Vladar is like a, a check down. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. It's not the answer. And Wolf might not be either. It's still a hail mary, but you might as well toss it. Yeah. It's the, it. If not now, when? And like worst case, he's like he's going to be your goalie at some point. Just do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, find uh, out. Find out what you got, and find out if he can help you salvage the season. Because if this Flames team can get an average amount of saves, they should be a tough team to beat. For sure. Like, that's it. Uh, 650-650, Dunbar-Lumber text line. Let's hit some text before we uh, go to the break here. Um, this one, can we talk about Mikheyev? Mikheyev, I think, uh, he's just looked – last night he, he had um, – I don't know if it was a great chance, but he, he had an almost breakaway, I guess, and I think – He's just he's exceeded my expectations since coming back from this injury. Oh, like I thought there was going to be a way me longer too. ramp up. Me than too. We've seen. Well, and I'm I'm yeah. I mean, and even when he came back and looked good, I thought that there might be like a lull. Like he might hit like a lull after some sort of adrenaline driven games. His his defensive form's amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. I, I I actually don't know that his speed games all the way back. No, there there's been moments where I'm like, if Mikhail was 100. percent he would have broken away from someone yeah, he'd be or, gone. or get a puck in, in some cases. And he, he hasn't been able to do that yet, but he's just – he's a smart enough player that oh, – And his defensive game's so good. Like, yeah. the way he cuts off the top, it's like – just clip it. Just clip it, show it to young players, especially young wingers. Like, man, he's so good. Uh, defensively, I think he's been a really key element that's kept that line afloat, uh, despite the fact that Pedersen looks a little bit limited and despite the fact that, you know, I, I don't think Kuzmenko's – played all that well five on five mm-hmm. um you know I, I think mckay has been like a key driver that has allowed that line to at least keep their head above water and that's really all they've been doing five on five which you know is a departure from what we saw last year and, and perhaps a reason for optimism right that this team can find another level five on five if that line can crank back into form definitely uh and this one so if kuzmenko is out tonight who would you like to see with Pedersen and mckay hoaglander well, had some chances there last night I yeah i mean what i'd like to see is hoaglander what what i think we'll see is uh anthony beauvillier yeah little it's just it, yeah, it's, mean, it's fine and then and then we'll see with pew Suter because then that'll have knock-on effects mm-hmm. further down the lineup right um with stanika down do the canucks have an extra forward if Suter and kuzmenko can't go i don't think they do because they, they didn't call anyone up after no uh, 
before the game yesterday. So, um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see, like, do we see them run 7 to D? Do we see them run 11-7? Which, by the way, I absolutely do not dislike at all, given what it, given what that can allow you to do with guys like Miller, Besser, Pedersen, to expand their ice time, right? And especially because you're not, like, playing them with just dudes. You'd be playing them with, like, a fourth line that includes Lafferty and Hoaglander. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Pedersen can make a meal out of a shift with those guys. For sure. Miller can make a shift out of a meal with those guys. So I, I you know, I don't hate that as an option should that be where the Canucks have to have to go tonight, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Uh, it is Canucks talk. I'll read one more text. Please read this one. I just want to say I love Drancer. Guy's a beauty. Get so much tough love in this market for no reason. Props well, not, to not, you. No, I mean, not not for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> there is some reason. I, I thought this team should rebuild, build, and they're 12-3-1. You know, if you're not going to come at me now with dunks, when are you going to get to come at me? <laughs> We've. Uh, I was saying in the break, we're seeing a lot of receipts come out right now. That's fine. And to be fair, now is the time. That's now fine. Time. I mean, there have been... If you're if you're someone who had like a really positive outlook about this team's short term future, and you're dunking right now, like you've been dunked on relentlessly for like four years, mm-hmm. and probably most of eight. Yeah, it's been rough. Enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy it. Like you know, my my Canucks should rebuild take is looking awfully bad. I actually haven't fully changed my opinion on it. This team is better than I expected, but not by like miles yet. I don't think. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see when it regresses. So, as far as I'm concerned, if you're if you're team positivity and you've been the type who's listening to Canucks talk and slamming off the radio or hitting your dashboard and being like that guy's wrong, like congrats, you were right. I, I I look foolish right now, and you should enjoy it. It's been a long time since you got to feel that way. Enjoy the run. Vibes are great. This is what sports are, man. Yeah, it's fun to be a fan right now. Yeah, and and the good thing about sports is like you forecast, you do your best. And then your opinion gets tested four times a week. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be right more than half the time. Like, really hard. Mm-hmm. So enjoy it. Enjoy those brief moments where you get to reel up for a windmill jam and dunk away, my friends. Tomahawk dunks only. Form the line to the left. Uh, it is Canucks talk. Get your text. Uh, get your dunk text in on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, it's Josh Elliott, Wolf Thomas Trance, Canucks talk. On the other side, Kevin Woodley going to join us on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott will filling in for Jamie Dodd today. He will be back tomorrow. Thomas Strands here as always. Uh, a lot of dunking on Drance coming in on the uh, 650-650 <laughs> text line. We'll get to that uh, as the show goes on. Uh, but we, right Let's now, not. <laughs> actually, we have no time. Um, actually, two guests. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's bring in the first one. Uh, Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine and NHL.com. He is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Drance, go ahead. Uh, I want to I ask Woodley right, right off the bat. Woodley, is this an elite team? An elite? Oh wow! Yeah, let's go, let's go. Like, er, apparently, I've been massively wrong. So, so, and I might have been. This team, twelve three and one, first in the West, mid November, best goal differential in the league. Are they an elite team? They're a team with elite players at all the key positions. 
who mm. seems to have a better supporting cast than they have in a long time, and perhaps above all else, has buy-in right. on structure and defensive discipline under Rick Tockett that we didn't see during any of the previous, you know, blips or bumps. And so I think to me, man, are they elite? Like, do I want to see them head-to-head against the Kings and Vegas a little more often before making any bold predictions? Yeah, but, um, you know, I, I see all the numbers. I know about regression and PDO and, you know, even, even Demko, right? Like, Demko's one of the top two goalies in the league statistically right now. And he has one of the top two adjusted save percentages. But the reality is... You'd have to if you cut it in half, he would still win a Vesna Trophy in terms of where he is, <laughs> right? You know, above expected, right? And so historically, that just doesn't last. The difference to me, though, is, and I know the same with shooting percentage. The difference to me is because of that underlying process. You know, when those, you know, if those things start to regress, it still looks like a team that could win three, two, and two to one on nights. Maybe not all nights. Maybe not as often as they are right now. And and right now, with all those things going their way, on a lot of these evenings, it's 5 2, 6 2. So, you know, and that's where the goal differential comes from. So, are they an elite team? They are playing like an elite now. And I guess in the here and now, that makes them an elite team. More than seeing them play top teams, because we've seen them play the Rangers, we've seen them play Tampa, we saw them play Toronto, like we've seen them play good teams. Um, I'm just curious to see, like, what they can sustain, right? Like, over their next 30 games, would you bet the over or the under on them maintaining a 96-point pace, for example? Oh, man, I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't looked at what it looks like over the next 30 games. I mean, the schedule It's 35 points. 35 points over the next 30 games would be – so 35.5 points for the Canucks over their next 30 games – that's a 96-point pace extrapolated over the season, over or under. As a trained goalie who only looks at a next-shot mentality but happens to have had a peek at what the schedule looks like in the next, say, 10 games, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, probably, take, I'd probably take that bet. Um, in terms of sustainability as well, to start the show, we were talking a lot about the power play, and yes, the five-on-five results are, like, they're, they're so good right now that they're obviously going to regress, but the power play has just been on fire. Is that something you see continuing? And, like, that, it feels like, like that could be the reason like they win games. Yeah, and this is what we talked about going into the season, right? Like, the penalty kill had to get better, and it ha- I guess, actually, I haven't even looked at the raw numbers. It's actually not great on the underlying, but it's been yeah. better overall, I think. And the power play had to continue to be great. And it's been even better than that. Right. And all the tools are there. Like, like the, I was, I was talking, you know, on a, on a national show earlier today about you know, all the things that are going right. And you look at that five on three goal by Philip Ronick last night. And, you know, I know the NHL edge stats have backed off the miles per hour by about seven compared to what we had <laughs> last night, but still like dude hit a hundred on a one T from the top of the face-off circle with, I should add, a perfect visual screen from J.T. Miller in terms of taking away the goalie's eyes effectively. And he's not even on their first power play unit, right? Like, um, there's a lot to like about the personnel on this power play 
and the way they're executing since Rick Tockett took it over, the dynamic nature of it, I think makes it, as long as it doesn't get static or being static, it's pretty tough to game plan because it is so dynamic, because there are so many moving parts, because J.P. Miller can be your net presence one minute and your bumper guy the next, and Brock Besser, who we've always thought as a shooter, like the job he's doing in front of the net, and I guess I can't say it's not getting enough credit because I feel like I've banged that drum every time I'm on the air, man. Like it's not just that he's there. Look at that. Look at the downhill goal from J.P. Miller in Toronto. Go back and watch that from behind the net angle. Like, as J.P. catches that and starts to get into stride for a shot, Brock's not just standing there. He starts to drift to his right, which forces Ilya Samsonov to do one of two things. Either I maintain the short short side vision that most goalies want by continuing to push myself to the right and exposing the net on the other side of that to J.P. Miller, or I make a decision now to cross the screen to move behind Besser to the other side of his moving screen and give up visual contact at the moment of release, which makes a save that, you know, say Jake Ottinger pulled off against Quinn Hughes Mm. damn near impossible because of when he's forced to give up his visual attachment to the puck. So, um, man, like there, there's so much, there's such a dynamic nature to this power play. There are so many great skilled parts to it. And yet, even the way they're managing screens and managing traffic um, is worthy of applause right now. And so as long as at least some of those elements continue and everybody stays healthy, I, you know, at the, at the current rate, it would be foolish to say that they can sustain this the whole time, but it's at least possible. You can see it as a possibility if nothing else, because of how dynamic it is. Oh, I'm buying high on the Canucks power play. The Canucks power play is just straight up legit. Straight up legit. Hey, Kevin. Kevin. You talked about the Quinn Hughes shot on Ottinger, and you and I had a good chat with him breaking it down. Where and what are you seeing out of Quinn Hughes' shot this season? Well, okay, one is the way he's using those screens, and – per that conversation we had with him, like he was shocked, surprised that Ottinger got both of them. And I talked to Jake and he did see the release on one. And I, I think to me, there's two parts. He's such a smart player, Quinn Hughes, because the first time um, Jake did manage to get eyes on it, and he gloves it clean. And in Jake's eyes as a goalie, if I can see the release, I can get across that screen and catch it on the other side of a, of a screen on the, the second one. What does Quinn do? Does he go high glove where Jake's hand is naturally positioned because he's a fingers-up goalie? No. He shoots it lower, which makes it a way harder save. And I think I agree with Quinn. Even if Jake insisted he saw it, when he shifts across, it basically hits the top of his pad as he's dropping into a butterfly. And to me, that screams as, hey, he saw it enough to shift into it. But anytime it hits you, you know, on a part of the pad that you're trying to transition to the ice and it hits you halfway there there's an element of luck involved. And to me, that's just one more example of, yeah, not only has Quinn Hughes improved the velocity of his shot, it looks like he's disguising releases and fooling goalies with that, maybe more than we've seen in the past, but also just the incredible smarts he has to make an adjustment against a goalie that, you know, he went to the uh, U.S. NTDP program with and knows very well. Um, You add all those elements together, I guess it's no... It's not, I mean, surprise, yes, but it's no secret why Quinn Hughes is, you know, 
one goal shy of his single season career high, and it's November 16th for crying out loud. Uh, Woodley, so with Thatcher Demko last night and and Toronto, I've I feel like like there's always a baseline he's going to reach in terms of he's always going to provide a certain level of play. Um, have you like? In those two games in particular, I I don't know if it's just me, but I've I've kind of felt like he hasn't been as calm as maybe the word. Have you have you noticed the same, or am I just reading into this? I mean, I think there's elements in that Toronto game where you know when we talk about the structure in front of him and how good they've been, um, you know, even even in the Edmonton game when they gave up those 19 shots in the first period, and the story was all Demko. You know, when I went back the next morning and looked at the ClearSight analytics data, only two of those shots from Edmonton were what we would classify as truly high danger. Um, I think in that Toronto game, things got a little more unpredictable, a little more dynamic, and of course you're going to look busier behind that. So, you know, it, it's certainly not anything that I've noticed to the point, Josh, where I'd be worried about it. I guess I would put it that way. Um, as I said before, I think... I mean, and the numbers bear this out. Like, he is so statistically above the bar right now relative even to a friendlier environment that, you know, anything other than Superman looks like it isn't Demko at his best. And these numbers have to come down. Like, they just always have. Like, even Igor Shesterkin's Vezina-winning season, which was, you know, a historically good season the adjusted save percentage wasn't at the level Thatcher's performing at right now so I think maybe some of our expectations are just crazy good um you know to me it's a lot of it's about positioning and where he's getting to and beating plays to in his spots um you know I think last night you know puck goes through him under his pads and you go oh we don't see that but then you look at the replay and you realize uh, that it goes off Joshua's stick. And the only reason it goes underneath his pads is because he's at a point in terms of his game and his positioning and his trust in his edges and how he's feeling, where on a shot from just above the face-off dot and a, and a pretty open look, he's not defaulting down. He's got patience to hold his edges and read and react into a shot that was initially headed much higher than where it ended up. And so I think sometimes just circumstances make some of those things look, including the nature of the play in front of you, make some of those things maybe look um, not to the standard that he sets when he's on, you know, at that superhuman level. Hey, uh, Woodley, really appreciate you uh, taking the time and have a good one. Uh, My pleasure, guys. There is Kevin Woodley. He is brought to you on Sportsnet 650 by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. And I, I do want to be clear. I asked about Demko just because, like, yeah, we're we got to have Woodley talk goalies. Come on. Yeah. And we're so used to him being superhuman level, like Woodley mentioned, that the last two games, I'm not concerned about it, but it just hasn't felt as smooth as he usually is, I guess. And I, I, I do think that's something like Woodley mentioned. That's, it's not going to be a long-term concern whatsoever. I mean, man has a 932 save percentage. <laughs> so good. He's been so good. He's been so good. His, um, he is, <laughs> he has stopped 91 of 98 high danger shots against for a high danger save percentage of 929. This guy's out of his mind. Mm-hmm. 
even yesterday, he's like, ah, haven't gotten enough high danger chances against. Yeah, I'll manufacture one of my own. <laughs> and that was just, it was an amazing save. You know, we don't talk much about how good Thatcher Demko is at handling the puck, but it's like very rare to see him make a puck handling error. Mm-hmm. He is awesome. Like he's able to do the outlet passes. Like he's, he doesn't, you know, he's not showy with it. So I don't think we discuss it a lot, but like he's a very able puck handler. Very able, very good. And it's very rare to see him make a mistake like that. Um, you know, Ian Cole's helped him out. Ian Cole's an amazing goalie. He's pulled, what, two off the line in the last uh, three few, games? Two games, yeah. Yeah, because he had the one in Toronto. Yeah. That was an and, awesome and play. last night was just – last night was incredible. That, yeah, that would have been the game. That was the game right there. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the, I guess a little bit of good fortune with the Ajo one off the off the post, right? But, um, you know, there wasn't much else space for Ajo to put it. You know, yeah. like that was one of those. Sometimes you hit a post and it's like goalie was beat clean and you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you hit a post and it's you or just, the opponent hits a post and it's like, well, there wasn't much space otherwise. Yeah. And that was one of those. For sure. Uh, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of text. So before the break, we were talking about uh, Duncan Andrantz after uh, after the start to the Canucks season. It's actually been quite a – it's been 50-50. A lot of people giving you credit as well. <laughs> Still saying uh, well, there's... Who are listeners? Wow. <laughs> yeah, who would have No, thought? no, thank you guys. And uh, honestly, thank you everybody. Everyone who's been discussing this team with us through some lean years. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you're enjoying this and I hope you saw it coming. And I hope you bought the Canucks division winner odds when they yes. were when they were <laughs> I, I 16 to 1. You know, because hope you, you know made the investment. Dom decision. Dom decision did, yes. yes. But I think he got them at 5 to 1. Yeah. He got them like... Not, not off the hop. Yeah. He saw a sample of games. But, yes, Dom Lecision. Well, Dom Lecision, yeah, that's, that's what's so funny about Dom's evolution into, like, a villain in this market is, first of all, his player tiers had Hughes, like, 30 spaces higher than the ESPN ones. Yeah. So, like, while it was still too low, it wasn't nearly as egregious as some of the yeah. other public Everyone lists. Everyone at seen. ESPN is like, whew, glad we're not getting a beat. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is, this guy was way higher on the Canucks than me. Way higher. Like we were, he was the high, one of the highest public analysts on them um, prior to the season, including, you know, I know he had a lot of money on them to beat Edmonton both games of game one and two. Like he was on this team early. And like, again, Dom built a model to help him win money gambling on hockey. Like th- that's his primary interest. And the Canucks have treated him well, even as the market has grown increasingly frustrated with him. Yes. <laughs> and like to, to his credit as well. We like in Vancouver. We always need a villain, uh, and I, I think he enjoys playing the part uh, mm. at the moment uh, on the text line. So here, here's one that's defending you as well. Maybe we can get into this without being too too overly crappy on the team. I guess um, this one, Drance is right. No chance they have an elite team. They should have rebuilt. It's too small of a sample size. They are four players away from being a contender. So, in terms of let, let's focus on the last part there. How many pieces, because I think we can all admit that this Canucks team, no matter how high you are on them, you nobody should think that they're a 12-3-1 team and that every single 16-game sample for the rest of the year no, and is no, going and to be no like one does. But they're a 100-point team. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think this is overwhelmingly likely to be a 100-point team. So how many pieces from being, like, let's say, a 110-115-point team do you think they are? I mean, I still think another top pair quality defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing, one thing that I thought in Toronto when I was watched that game was, you know, 
one thing about Miller at center, as well as he's played, is it removes a really dynamic, creative presence from your wings. Right? Yes. And yeah. in in that Toronto game, one thing I was sort of aware of was you'd see Nylander and Marner kind of carving up the Canucks, and Vancouver sort of comes back with, like, Kuzmenko, who's kind of been quiet five-on-five, five, not really a play driver. Mikheyev, who's, like, a super reliable defensive forward, but I don't know is that he's like a dynamic offensive creator. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty confident yeah. that he's not. Yeah. Um, and then Di Giuseppe and then Besser, who's played really well. But like, you know, Besser and Garland are this team's most creative, dynamic offensive wingers. And I wouldn't say either of them are anywhere near the the level of creatively uh, of like a William Nylander. No, no, no. Like or, or, or of a Pasternak or, or what have you. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I think you get to – a point like one thing about the playoffs is you get to the, to a point where it becomes truth serum, right? Like when you're playing seven games in in over fourteen days against the absolute best in the league, like every little thing matters. You know, one thing I think this team is going to need down the line. One of the reasons why I think Lakaramaki season such a big story is like I do think there's eventually like the apex version of this team is going to have a little bit more creativity off the wing than they currently have yeah and we talk a lot about the wing depth and the Canucks have a lot of wingers who can play in the NHL and yeah. make a level of impact but they don't have the next level guy no in terms of like not not point of not while JT Miller plays center exactly because JT Miller can absolutely be that player mm-hmm. but they need him at center and then they would need a center and so for, but, but you, need, for, you need a piece in general so for me it would sort of be those two things and then you know, I, I mean, I like Pew Suter and Teddy Bluger and Sam Lafferty as, like, bottom six center depth. Like, you know, in in a perfect world, would you identify, like, a proto version of Antoine Vermette to be your third-line center? Like, just a face-off AC, although Suter's been winning draws at an excellent clip. Yeah. Uh, who's also, like, six foot three and, like, you keep in a cage and feed raw meat until puck drop? Like, yeah, that sounds – sign me up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't know that you need it. You know, that yeah. that would be, like, a nice to have. I mean, I think Joshua Garland, Suter, slash Bluger is, like, a totally good third line. I think that works. And we've seen in the in the last yeah, few that, games. It's honestly, that's been Vancouver's great. best line five on five. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I think this this season has already accomplished, like, the – you can at least see a path forward for how this team can contend, right? Um. And, and, I mean, maybe you even see this as a contender now, a, a ready-made pre-arrival contender. I'm going to wait another 15 games. Like, I want I want to see 30, 30 games before I ever really, like, proclaim with confidence what I see a tr- team's true talent level at. But where they're trending, you know, they look to me more like a, a credible playoff team um, than they do like a contending team, just based on their five-on-five play, based on the fact that, um, you know, their save percentage and shooting percentage both rank among the, the highs in the NHL. That's impo- like it's very unlikely that they sustain that over the next 50 plus games. Um, you know, I, like I still see I think about the last week of games. So since their win in Edmonton, because I think that win in Edmonton, there's like this seven game portion of the season starting in Nashville. And you get like Nashville, that St. Louis win um that Dallas was the, in there. Dallas, the the Rangers, that Edmonton game, mm-hmm. the Sharks, ten one, you know, demol- um, demolition. Yeah, it's like those six games were fantastic games, and since then you get Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, and last night, mm-hmm. and and I think those games have been far less 
they haven't been at nearly as impressive. Yeah, exactly. Frankly, mm-hmm. um, and so then you get to sort of some concerning trends. Like I've I've been talking about. I expected the penalty kill to spring something of a leak based on their underlying form. They didn't look like they were trending in the right direction to me. Uh, we've sort of seen that play out uh, against Toronto and and against uh, the New York Islanders. Um, you know, one thing that I'm still sort of looking at is f- the the top six isn't really driving play the way they were earlier in the season. Over the last, and this is a trend that's a little bit longer, like six, seven games. Mm-hmm. You've seen the the five-man unit that the Canucks have used to match up, like regularly lose the territorial matchup. You're not really getting a ton of dynamic OZP from the Pedersen line at the moment. Um, the Suter line, the power play uh, efficacy has kind of hidden that, but I do think there's more that this team's going to need to generate in terms of an offensive push, five on five. Um, so, you know, I think this is a team right now that's sort of trending in a direction where I, I'm going to see them as like a, a a credible playoff team that got off to a fantastically hot start um, and is still likely to make the playoffs and, and hit 100 points, but probably isn't going to be a threat to really make noise unless they can find ways to control play better five on five or add significantly to the roster. Um, that's sort of where I'm trending right now. And that's not a huge departure, frankly, from where I was rating this team coming into the season. It's, you know, I'm maybe up three, four points on their true talent. That's where I'm trending right now. But again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to confidently assert what I think this team is until 30 games. And that's been consistent with how I've analyzed this team every year for my entire career. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is Canucks talk. Josh Elliott, Wolf, Thomas Drance. On the other side, Dmitry Filipovich is going to join us. Joins Canucks talk every week. Uh, Keep your texts coming in as well. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks talk. Josh Elliott, Wolf, Thomas Drance on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Strance here with you. Uh, Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Happy to be joined now by Dmitry Vilipovich, host of the PDO cast, joins uh, Canucks Talk every week. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. We're here trying to watch the end of this uh, international game between the Red Wings and Senators. The NHL, in typical NHL fashion, is making it difficult for us to view it, but we're, <laughs> we're trying our best. The Senators have coughed up a 4 nothing lead to the Detroit Red Wings, and it's currently tied in the third. Um, Ottawa, down bad? Yeah, I think both of these teams are generally pretty unserious. It's a fun game. Uh, kind of encapsulates the issues with both of these teams. We were laughing, Tom and I. Um, we did my show last week or last week, two weeks ago. We yeah. were talking about um, Justin Hole's Norris odds, which is somehow <laughs> top twenty, and we think it's he's a running top bit. 20? He's top twenty right he, now, he even though plus he's plus two thousand, and now he's plus six thousand six hundred. Justin Hole, who's a healthy scratch for the Detroit Red Wings today. I think he's got a shot. Worse know? odds than Philip Peronik. Worse odds than Philip Peronik, who's on an eleven game point streak Damn. at the moment and has you know, is l- tied for the scoring lead for the Vancouver Canucks plus 8,000 for Philip Ronick. Has to be a bit 
Yeah, I think it has that's, to be a bit. It's probably a Leafs fan setting the odds. Maybe getting a lot of action from Leafs fans. Have you guys talked about the Hronik shot from last night? Like, do we have verification yeah. that it is the hardest shot in NHL history? No, no, no. It's 100.4 according to NHL. Okay, so. yeah, because when I saw it was like 107, I was like, that seems That's impossible. wild. Yeah, no, that's like that's like hard to pull off in the skills competition yeah, with, with like four strides and, and no yeah. defenders on you. He, he was like a stationary. I don't even think it was a full windup. He blasted that thing. He blasted that thing. No, no, no. It's more impressive because it wasn't a full right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean that was a that was a hammer shot, no question. Yeah. Um. So just generally, where are you at with the Canucks? What are you seeing from them in the early going? Where does this team belong in the Western Conference pecking order? Other than at the very top, where they sit today, November sixteenth. I mean, I think understandably coming around on them with each passing performance, right? A game like last night, where I don't think they were necessarily at their best, right? Mm. Particularly in the power play, like they generated a lot of chances, but it wasn't as precise and crisp as we know they're capable of. And they still find a way to not only come out ahead in terms of like a lot of the underlying markers we're looking at, but also actually win the game itself. Yeah. And that's a mark of a good team, right? Where you don't necessarily have your fastball, your best game but you still find a way to win it. And so a performance like that is, is is highly encouraging. And we're looking at their schedule, and there's a lot of talk about how soft it is. And obviously, whenever you have the Sharks, it will be classified sure. as soft. But Twice. I mean, Sharks twice. I mean, most of these teams that the Canucks will face at this point should be considered worse than them. So like, how many actual good teams that the Canucks should be worried about are there even... Well, in the West, at any point on their schedule, yeah. In the West, like it's like the Golden Knights, Kings, and Avs, and that's about it. Yeah, and and everyone and, else, and maybe the Stars, maybe. Yes, yeah, good point. Well, but a team they've already beaten and, already and had beaten. a good performance. Yeah, against. yeah. So I, I mean, no, I, I agree with you. I think the, I like I look around the league and there just aren't that many great teams this year. You know, I I do think there are two notable ones in the West in in Colorado and Vegas. Um, even and then, Colorado hasn't looked as good as they no, should. Yet. Yeah, no, but. They have the second worst goaltending in the league, five on five. Like yeah. a lot of what Colorado's dealing with is just noise, I'm pretty sure, in that. Um, you know, I, I sort of look through it and I think, other than those two teams, and then there's sort of this underclass with like LA, Dallas, you can throw Vancouver in there if you want. If you really want, you can throw Edmonton in there. Um, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's kind of it. Yep. Do you, do you agree? Is there anyone in the West? We're sleeping on? No, I think the season <laughs> are kind of parting there in that regard, yeah. right? Like, a lot of the teams even, I think, heading into the year would have been like, all right, well, Calgary, Seattle, Seattle teams yeah. like that. Like, I think the Canucks at this point, with just the star power they have, the top lineup, the way they're performing, the fact that the combination of Demko's goaltending and the power play, like, even if they aren't playing their best, they have those two things to yep. lean on. That just sets them above those other teams. R right now, those two are, uh, you know, I called the power play a nuke earlier yep. in, the, uh, in the show, but Demko too, right? I mean, between... between whether you buy Vancouver's five-on-five five game, and I'm probably selling high on that, like I'd be willing to buy high on their power play. Well, that's the thing. Like, How many things have to go wrong over the course of a 60-minute game for the Canucks not to be in it, right? It's like Demko has to be off his game, the power play has to be not clicking, and they have to be getting smoked at five-on-five. Five. Like, they have a lot of outs. Most nights, at least one of those will come through. Yeah, good point. And so there's just a lot of teams just don't have that luxury. So yeah, yeah that sets them up above, above those teams. I do wonder if in games where the special teams are a bit more, like last night in the third period, I think we were all kind of waiting for, and even the broadcast mentioned, waiting for the even up calls, you know? And I do wonder if in games like last night, when the penalty kill wasn't as good, I guess, as it was earlier in the season, if that's going to show some warts as the season goes on as well. Yeah, but at the same time, like when... 
your top players are, I mean, Pedersen's amongst the league leaders in not only penalty differential, but penalties drawn in particular, yep. right? Quinn Hughes as well in Mark defense Friedman, position. Yeah. I mean, and then you're getting that, you know, Connor Garland. Like, like yep. there's enough players in this team where I actually would expect them, unless they just completely self-combust, that they will probably have a positive penalty differential, Yeah, right? especially because so, they play with real discipline. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, uh, credit to them. All right. We, we talked briefly, we touched briefly on Seattle. And, and one thing that's interesting to me about Seattle is the sophomore struggles to open the season from Maddie Beneers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the swagger's not there. The results certainly are not there for Beneers. What's going on there? What's going wrong for him? Yeah, that's a good question. I think generally, and he was, you know, much like the team, I think he was the embodiment of that where a lot of the percentages last year were inflated, right? And I think we expected a natural regression from everyone involved. Now, I just thought that in his second year, he would just, you know, figure it out a bit more in terms of being more efficient and kind of being able to mitigate that impending regression with his play. And he hasn't really been able to overcome it yet. And that's kind of been similar for the most of the team. So I think it honestly, it boils down to that because for the most part, they're they're playing very similar to the way they played last year. They're just not really being as fortunate. Not right? And, and that, that, that's not shocking by any means. No. That was what we expected. So you would have thought that there just would have been enough balance and depth there where they'd be like in it most nights regardless. And I guess they have been. Like they haven't really been... They've been losing, but they haven't really been overwhelmed very often, right? Like, it's like even last night, they lose in overtime. They probably could have won that game. They scored a couple goals, got contributions from various guys. So, yeah, I don't know. They're going to hang around. It just, they don't really, like, when you play, like, compare them to the Canucks, they just don't have the top end. A lot of those players are talking about where they can just drag the team along with them, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we thought Benjamin could be that guy, and he still probably will be at some point. He's very young and barely early, early in his career, right? So, I don't know. I'm kind of lukewarm on them, uh, a bit disappointed, but I think a lot of it was to be expected. In so, well, is there like what tier would you put the Kraken in mm-hmm. in general? Because we kind of find like the Ducks are overperforming. I think you could say that. I don't know if I would say the Coyotes hey. are overperforming. Hey, I'm sorry. Is no, this a, <laughs> is this is a pro Ducks show or so pro Ducks? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Pro yes. Ducks, pro Coyotes. Okay, both well, of those I, teams. I'm pro Coyotes. Too, yeah. Who's not uh, the only people who are not pro coyotes are the Vancouver Park Sport um, <laughs> and dog owners everywhere. Yeah, people walking in Stanley Park. Later <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, coyotes are the worst. I'm out on coyotes, but I'm in on the Arizona coyotes. Yeah. No, uh, no, yeah, no duck slander on this on this program. Okay, fair enough. But what, like, do you overperforming? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, do you put like what tier would you put the Kraken in in terms of Western Conference teams? Like, do we still expect them to be a team that's going to be challenging for a playoff spot this year? Like, because I still factor in Edmonton catching up, and like Calgary's right there too. Right. And Seattle's already played 17 games. I I just don't know where I see them. Yeah, it's kind of, I'd say probably in that tier with the Central Division teams like the Blues and maybe even the Wild as well, right, just based on how horrific I still think the Wild will figure it out and be a tier above the the, the rest of them. Maybe. There's some pretty concerning stuff going on with Minnesota right now. But yeah, I'd say say they're kind of in that group. I just love their top end so much. Me too. I'd say the Ducks and Coyotes, though, like, I don't know about the results, but just from a watchability perspective, we're just so far and away ahead of all of these teams we yes. just mentioned. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Are you? I'm higher on the Coyotes than the Ducks. Yeah, yeah. Especially I, for this season. I least. don't think, and I don't, like, I think the Coyotes could sneak into the playoffs, but I don't think the Ducks are going to make the playoffs. No. I just think the Ducks are going to be annoying and, like, could challenge to get to like 83 85 points. I think I'm just anti-Ducks because last year I'm like, this is the year yes. they're going to be plucky right. and stuff, and then 
It, oh yeah, they were to be this so year. deeply unserious. Yeah. No, but that's that's how it works with these teams that are bad, and then they're bad, and then they're bad, and then they're suddenly very much not bad. And I always tend to think that those are the teams to be most worried about. You know, like you don't. I don't think you worry too much about like the strivers like seattle and calgary like okay if they hit it doesn't like change your outlook in the division what what you worry about is the teams built like edmonton or buffalo or you know like new jersey last year new jersey last year if you're in the atlantic like who's your biggest concern over the next five years it's not detroit it's buffalo maybe ottawa right like those teams that are right there knocking on the door knocking on the door and then suddenly boom um is vancouver a team like that and yeah, missed maybe. It. Yeah, because it's very tough to kind of. I missed it. It's very tough to sort of chip away or cobble your way slowly up the standings, mm-hmm. right? It's generally like you're accumulating a lot of high end talent, but the results aren't reflecting it yet because those players are either developing or struggling or yeah. in their career. And then all of a sudden, it all just comes together, and then you just have this massive seismic jump up the standings. So you're right. I think those are the teams you should be like wary of now. Obviously, after watching the Ducks last year, it was very tough to take them seriously come away being inspired by it but a significant coaching change and then just adding minchikov and carlson to that mix in particular right just sets them so above and beyond it's funny like i think you and i both heading into europe probably would have thought that owen zellweger would be having the season minchikov is having right now where everyone is just bonding over him myself included and minchikov just totally taking all that shine destroying it um so after the canucks face the kraken Again, we've sort of discussed briefly their soft schedule. Yes. It's, uh, the, yeah, they play what? The, the Flames, Kraken. Flames. Sharks. Kraken. And and we, we, we don't even need to get into the Flames because I think we all know yes. what we're looking at. But then it's Sharks, Avalanche, Kraken, Sharks. Mm. Now, that sounds really soft, but Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday yes. is, you know, that's actually pretty dense, especially given that they're playing. So Wednesday, Thursday, back-to-back, Saturday, Monday, um, sorry, Saturday, Monday, and, w- and then Wednesday yeah. in Wednesday in Colorado, and then Friday in Seattle, and then Saturday, Saturday in. Saturday. So that's actually like a, that's another thing. You know, you can look at the opponents and say that it's soft, but you look at the actual density, uh, how condensed that run is. I don't think those are easy games. I'm telling you right now. No, maybe we, the ones against the Sharks, and we probably generally <laughs> under underrate like schedule difficulty in that regard, right? Totally. Just in terms of like the volume of games and how like the second of a back to back or third and five nights or yeah. whatever impacts you, like re- relative to the opponent. We generally think of who you're playing as opposed to like what time you're playing them. Mm. At. So, so but but with the sh- let's talk Sharks quickly. Okay. Every time I listen to this roundtable, by the way, it's all just like. Crapping on sharks half hour. Yeah. Which is fun. We've spent, I think we've spent more time talking about the sharks on this show this season than any other team, including the Canucks. They're fascinating. <laughs> it's so fun to talk about. <laughs> every sharks game for me is an event. I'm not going to lie. Every sharks game for me is an event. Yes. Mo- and, and, you know, it's an event because I like to look at all the lines. I like to see like what happens, you know, in terms of how the, how, how Vegas handicaps like shots over unders, points over unders, like, that sharks games have no relationship with what what's happening in the rest of the league, and then it's always the like, will they embarrass themselves? <laughs> like I don't know, it's so funny. Well, the yeah. the game the other night they played against the Panthers, they announced that there was ten thousand tickets sold, <laughs> and there was no way there was a hundred people in that rink. Like you could literally hear a pin drop yeah. while the game was happening. Well, and then and then you know, um, people are losing their minds because they're winning with ten minutes to go, and then it's like not only does Florida come back and win, they come back and actually record a clear victory they win by two goals without an empty net yeah they went up three two and then they gave up three goals within like two minutes <laughs> it was amazing so, so i'm just excited like i'm yeah. 
I, I'll tell you this much: like Monday against San Jose, can't miss game for me. Like Home I will be there. Too. Yeah, no, I'm I'm like thrilled, so excited to get a chance to watch the San Jose team play. Is there anything? Is there any sign of life? No. no. <laughs> oh, God no. I think I think the Canucks should be striving to score 11 goals this time. Yeah. You think they should like challenge Raise themselves? The bar? Well, I, I don't think it's one of those things where you know generally you would say, okay, if you got embarrassed like the Sharks did last time they played the Canucks, it's like there's some sort of human element where you're going to be extra motivated just to make sure that doesn't happen again. And I just do not think they have the talent in that room to accomplish that. Oh, the like, there's just probably... no motivation to get you so far. And they've just lost track of how many times they've been blown out by teams that they're just like, ah, well, maybe Vancouver beat us by a lot earlier in the season. Do we have to be mad about this? I don't know. Oh, man. I mean, they're not even their most recent 10-goal against games. So. See, like, uh, which, uh, how high do you think the over-under is going to get set? Like, I just can't wait. I can't wait. Circle that one. I, like, cannot wait to watch it. Colorado, goaltending's been spotty. Right. Hughes has five more points than Makar. Mm -hmm. Suspect we're going to hear a lot about that in the lead-up to that game. Are the Avs better this year? Did they improve their depth? Have have the Johansson and um, uh, Ross Colton right. bats worked for them? I think they have to an extent. I don't know if they've ultimately accomplished exactly what they were hoping for. It was interesting hearing Jared Bednar talk about this yesterday, I believe, where someone asked him about like why they put Joel Kibiranta into the lineup and, and what they were trying to accomplish with that. And he has essentially acknowledged, like if our bottom six isn't going to score at, law, at all, they at least need to be better defensively and I think like that's sort of not waving the white flag or sort of acknowledging that they're just not really going to get that depth secondary scoring I know they got a couple goals from them uh, against the Ducks last night when they scored eight as a team but yeah it should have signed Pew Suter it's gonna yeah I mean really it's gonna come down to how far McKinnon, Ranton, and Makar and Taves can take them which is probably pretty far um, but as we saw last year in that series against Seattle at some point if those guys aren't on the ice and you're not generating anything it's really like your margin for error just shrinks to such a small degree seattle again and then yeah. san jose again so there's a lot of repeats this week it's like they play five games but gonna, they sorry well i was gonna say we're gonna be in the house for that we're for the second the seattle for game right second seattle yes. game and the thursday night football american thanksgiving let's go for you guys nothing quite like it yeah let's go well no it's i mean it's gonna be a great sports weekend in seattle it, it if if you have no plans, you can hit up Niners, Seahawks Thursday night, Canucks at Kraken Friday night, Washington or Washington State at Washington Saturday. The ultimate sports Seattle sports weekend on tap for American Thanksgiving this upcoming weekend. Unfortunately, no stores or restaurants will be open, so yeah. good luck. So. <laughs> Outside of the game experience, it's going to be horrible. But other, while you're there, it's going to be great. So, I mean... I think I've been I've been here for a while because of how hot the Canucks start is. Where like I think they're going to hit 100 points and I think they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't think this is a contending team though. Mm. I think this is um, still a team that's going to face that the percentages reckoning, and they'll sort of settle in to be like a mid 90s point, a true talent team. Um, you know, over the balance. Where where are you at? Yeah, I'm coming around. I wouldn't necessarily say like true contender in terms of like that. Absolute Abs elite tier, tier of but you think they can get teams. to the stars tier? Well, I think the stars might be in that I, contender I, I, I tier. See, I think the stars are firmly in that. I actually much more like I like the stars more than the Avs in terms okay. of depth. Um, I think the Canucks can get into that tier right below, though, because like this year, 
Yeah, because we ta- all, all the things we talked about. And also, I think people don't really... When we talk about regression, like the Canucks might not be the whatever point percentage team they are right now. I don't sure, know. What are, they, what are they performing at? Like 120 one, I mean, or something is ridiculous in terms of... Ludicrous, yeah. Yeah. So they're not going to be that. But if they regress, they're not going to regress to a point where the regression brings them back to whatever the we pack. thought previous. It'll be... If you think they're a 95-point team, true talent, that's what their regression will be. Right. And, and if they play at that the rest of the way, they're going to comfortably sure. finish as probably uh, second or, or competing with LA for second in the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Compete. I, I mean, and I think I won't be stunned if they're competing for the top of the Pacific. Now, that's a tricky matchup, round one matchup, if it is against LA, because I'm really high on this Kings team. So. And I'm really curious to see what this Kings team looks like what's, against the Canucks in a couple What's the first weeks? matchup of a couple weeks from now? Yeah. Like, but before the end of this month, we will see the Canucks play both the Kings and the Ducks and the Golden. <laughs> hey, thanks for jumping in with that. Yes. All of the Pacific Division heavyweights, all of the juggernauts, <laughs> Kings and the Ducks and the Golden Knights, yeah. and uh, the defending Stanley Cup champs. Uh, those will be telling matchups, but also just one game, right? Like, it's it's going to be fun though. Yeah, uh, I think the Canucks will get those teams best too. I I feel like. We're at the point now where, like, yeah, you're going to get the starting goalie for every team. Oh, no yeah. team is taking you lightly anymore. Um, and we just haven't seen the full effects of it yet because the Canucks haven't played Vegas or LA. Like, they haven't played the teams who you're really worried about getting their best. No, certainly. And then when you have, they literally have the three highest point getters right now, right? I think our, our Hughes, Pedersen, and Miller tied for with 26 points I believe for the league they lead are, right yeah. like yeah like that's 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 one of those things where obviously it's it's hilarious to look at but that's also something that everyone around the league is like very aware of right oh, yeah. like this is like something that like players in other locker rooms are like talking about and 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 seeing it and so that is whenever you have the Canucks on the schedule now like that's people are going to be eyeing that matchup and trying to make sure that they stop them from adding to those totals so good luck <laughs> yeah good luck yeah. Uh, well, sp- stay out of the box uh, is there something that I'm missing that you guys do? Well, weekly? we usually draft stuff, but we're not going to draft anything today. Well, usually it's, this is our gimmick. Jamie prepares the first 20 minutes or so of the show. It goes smoothly. Then we give Tom the opportunity to plan the final five minutes where it's a draft that he concocts. Unfortunately, he doesn't actually come in with an actual plan. And so no, on the fly, he tries to do like last last time we did an outerwear draft. <laughs> uh, we did a I, pants I, draft, which was a, a, a smash so, success. Right, but. Let's let's draft something to give Josh Elliott Wolf the full the full uh, draft experience. Let's draft hot dog toppings. OK. OK. So three rounds. And at the end. You know, we'll compare who has the most delicious hot dog. Okay. So, uh, Josh, you can go first as the as and it's a snake draft. So you will draft, draft first, and then at the end of the second round. Okay. There's one I need, but I'm not going to take it first round because mm. I think it's a sleeper. So I'm just, I'm going to go catch up first overall. Nice. Perfect. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. I'm a mustard guy, so I'll go I'll go mustard. Having lost out on mustard, I'm going to go with sriracha. Mm. And for my second pick, I'm going to go with jalapenos. Nice. Spicy. I'll go with uh, grilled onions. Okay, so Chef Swiger from Hell's Kitchen knew exactly where I was going to go. I'm going to take mayonnaise as a uh, nasty. That's no, I love it, man. And <laughs> oh. then uh, cheese. Dude, my, <laughs> my my hot dogs suck, man. It's uh, ketchup mayo cheese. That's all I put on my hot dog. Wow, I'm. <laughs> that's like that... a 1950s like um, you know those books, and it's like you can like put it in gelatin. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that level of hot dog, hot dog. <laughs> all right ketchup mayo and cheese wow well dimitri's now set up well to go traditional you taking relish 
I'm, but I probably should from a value perspective. I just I'd never put relish on my personal really? hot dogs. Yeah. Wow. Relish I, is like way overhyped for disagreed. like people just think it's a hot dog topping and it's I pickles rarely in see condiment it form. Is it sweet? It can be. What do you mean can be? Well, there's, versatile? There, there's various types of relishes that, if you like relish. It's, it's beauty is not the beholder. It's yeah, whatever I you know, want you, it to be. You guys, you guys pick, 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 pick what you can pick. Okay, so what did you took sriracha? I took sriracha. And jalapenos. And jalapenos. <laughs> Does that, I can't take any other hot sauces or? Oh. Oh. I mean, yeah. I would. I mean, generally, to like, me, you, you me, always believe, cheat in this draft. I, and, I also believe that sriracha is an independent topping. From like a Tabasco, you could I, have Tabasco. I agree. I yeah, agree. yeah I'll, I'll I'll go with Tabasco. Yeah, super fair. I'm going to finish off with cream cheese. It's cream cheese. Cream cheese is better than mayo. I should have taken. Cream I've, cheese. I've built is that like a, that's like a Seattle. I've dog, built a right? Seattle hot dog. Yeah. I just need fried onions, but that's okay. I like that's the least important part. Right. Uh, you were in Montreal. How were the How were the Montreal hot dogs? Good, but like I I was only in Montreal for like six hours. Mm. Uh, or like 18 hours, including the game and, and how much I slept. So I went to the hotel. I dropped my bags. I went straight to Schwartz's, ate smoked meat. And then by the time I got to the game, I didn't need like a hot dog. Right. So I waited to the first intermission and then ate it. And then I guess someone was sitting in a place. One of our listeners was sitting in a place where they could see me um, eating the hot dog. So on Monday, I got a te- we got a text in the inbox that was like, I saw you eat a hot dog <laughs> in the first intermission. I hope you enjoyed it. And I was like, I did. <laughs> Please don't watch me do that ever again. There was no picture included. At least I only ate one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like so, I, I've been I to saw that. you ate seven hot. Dogs. I've been yeah. to that rink and done stuff like that, but uh, <laughs> only one this time out. A lot of people in the text line appalled that we didn't take sauerkraut. Not a sauerkraut. Oh, I would have. I just like my gimmick was to build a Seattle. Yeah, dog. if we went five rounds, yeah, yeah, yeah would have come up. Fair. I'm glad I got to be part of a draft. If I if, if Dimitri had not picked mustard, mustard sauerkraut would have been my round two three. Ooh, or my round one two. Well, three. so you change your you change your um, correct approach. Yeah, because you know, without mustard, I, I don't want like I would have wanted sauerkraut, relish, mustard. Those are my three favorite. Drafted for top, position. Yeah, of, exactly. Yeah, I understand. Well, and and team build. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, hot dog uh, draft that worked better than usual. Yeah, it was good. That was like way better than usual, Josh. Usually wow. it's way worse than that. <laughs> Happy I got to be a part of it. <laughs> uh, thanks to Dimitri for joining us. Thanks to everyone listening, texting in on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. This has been Canucks Talk. Jamie Dodd back tomorrow with Thomas Trance. I've been Josh Elliott-Wolf. Uh, thanks to Elon Chark producing, intern Joseph, Lena back at home. This has been Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.